Thank you for that. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And I want to preach this morning on seeing the Savior. Seeing the Savior. Uh, I appreciate that song. I don't think I'd heard that song before, but it, it fits right hand in hand with the message. And uh, sometimes the Lord just works things out like that. And, uh, and then things just go well together. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45. And just one verse of Scripture uh, we're going to look at, uh, verse 22, Isaiah 45, and verse number 22, the Bible says this, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you again, Father, for the opportunity that we have to open your word, to read your word, to study your word. Father, to think about your word and even to contemplate on your word for the next few moments. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As I read this verse, uh, one thing stands out in, in this verse, well, maybe two things, but I want to point out maybe one thing uh, that I think is important, and that is in, in the middle of the verse, it says, all the ends of the earth. And a lot of times when we look at promises, or we look at even commands in the Word of God, uh, we ought to consider, and I, I believe it's really important many times, to look at who the Lord is talking to. Uh, because there are some promises that are limited uh, to the nation of Israel. Uh, and that's very clear throughout Scripture. There's other promises and other things that are given directly to uh, some people in the Scripture. And then there's many things that apply really to all people and to all, all, all places. Uh, but in this verse, I want you to notice that in the very center of the verse, God is clearly opening up salvation to all people. It is not limited to a select group of people. It's not limited to uh, just Israelites. And that's important for us to recognize and realize, even in the Old Testament, uh, that, hey, this was mentioned, that salvation uh, be to all people unto the ends of the earth. I was, uh, of course, I was a missionary for many years in Peru, and, and uh, I was down there, and we were uh, preaching and teaching, and, and a fellow come down, and he was visiting, and he, is, he was a professor in Bible college somewhere uh, for some time, and, and uh, we were kind of talking. We were, we were on some back roads. When I say back roads, I mean, I don't know that the likes of it really compares to the, the, something that you could find here in the States. I mean, uh, it, it was bad. I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere, and we were on some, uh, some very, very back roads. And we were kind of talking about the gospel and talking about uh, things. And, and, uh, and one of us had, had mentioned Acts 1.8, that uh, we were to take the gospel to, some, to our uh, Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the world. And he said, well... You know, that's kind of interesting. He said, I wonder how far we are right now from Israel. We're probably at the ends of the world that they're talking about, the ends of the earth, you know. I mean, the farthest point that you can get from, uh, from Israel and from where this, this passage was actually written in Jerusalem. 
and I had never thought of it, to be honest with you, but the reality is that salvation is not limited to any group of people. We said here in America, and uh, we're very blessed in America. Uh, we are, and I, I'm grateful for that. Listen, I've been to other countries, and uh, I am grateful that I was born in the United States of America, and that I have the freedom uh, to preach the Word of God, and that we have the freedom to assemble and, uh, and sing songs that we sing to praise the Lord our, our God and to worship the God that we serve. I'm grateful for those freedoms that we have. Uh, listen, not all countries have that. Uh, but listen... The salvation message is given to the entire world. I'm grateful that in America we get to hear it so frequently, and it's, it's so uh, accessible. Though there are still many people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there's other places that, listen, the message has not been sounded as long or as clearly as it has been in the United States of America. But this message is a message to all people. It doesn't matter how educated they are. Uh, it doesn't matter how uneducated they are. It doesn't matter uh, what color their skin is. It doesn't matter uh, if they're rich or if they're poor, if they're located in Maslin, or if they're located in Timbuktu, Africa. I don't know if that's a real place or not. But we always use that. It's the farthest place... It doesn't matter where they're located. The fact of the matter is that God is sending out a message that He wants to be heard all over the world. And that is salvation. He says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. So this message is going out to all people in all places in all time. And we find here that there's uh, several things that are to be focused on. I want you to notice here, uh, the very first word he says, look unto me. Look unto me. The word look implies a turning. Uh, I actually looked up the word look in the dictionary. And you say, well, why would you do that? Maybe the dictionary is probably one of the most interesting books uh, beside the Bible that you can look at. I, I didn't realize that there were eight or nine, I think there was ten different definitions for the word look. Now I would think, well, look would be pretty straightforward. You look with your eyes. Uh, but in there, it said this. Uh, it says, in the third definition, was to direct the intellectual eye to apply the mind or understanding. No, I, didn't, I would have never thought to define it like that. But that's one of the definitions. The eighth definition said to have a particular direction to face or to front something. If we've done this, we kind of know this, but if you've ever uh, pointed something out, maybe you're, maybe you're uh, we spend a lot of time in the car, so we're traveling, and, uh, and sometimes you look out the window and you see something, and, uh, and you know, when you're in the car, of course, the driver's looking out front. He should be, at least, all right, paying attention to the road and driving. But, uh, but everyone else in the car, they're doing all their things, you know. They're, uh, nowadays, they're playing on their phone, or they're playing a game, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. And, and they're many times uh, occupied doing something else. Uh, but when you see something uh, interesting, you point and you say, hey, look over there. And everyone looks up, and they turn, and they look in the direction that you're looking. 
uh, and because they're, they're not going to see it if they don't. Or maybe you've been uh, elsewhere and, and, uh, and you see something and you say, hey, look, there's deer over there. And, and people will have to stop and they will have to turn their attention and their focus from whatever it is that has their attention and their focus, and they focus on whatever you're directing them to. And so the idea of, of looking implies a turning. And, and in this passage, what were they turning from? Look back with me at verse number 20, and, uh, and look at what it says there in verse number 20. He says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They, that, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. And so in this particular passage, at least one of the things that they are focused on is idolatry. Uh, they're looking at, at their, their God and their attention is turned to something uh, other than God Himself. Uh, many times it was a, uh, a wooden statue that would be engraved and then they would take and overlay that with gold so that it would uh, look pretty and it would look something that, uh, that, that they seemed would be interesting. And to me, in my American mind, I've never understood idolatry in that form, to be honest with you. But I've been raised in a Christian home my whole life and studied the Bible. And, and I have those verses stuck in my mind uh, that, that why would you pray to a, a God that has ears but can't hear? Why would you pray to a God that has eyes but cannot see? Why would you pray to a God that has hands but he can't do anything? Why would you pray to a God that has feet but he can't go anywhere? And so idolatry, uh, in my mind, we, we've reduced it down to a piece of wood that somebody else has carved into that shape or that form and made it. And I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But a lot of places in the world are steeped in idolatry. They really are. And they pray to those things and they think that they're going to help. And, and I think many, uh, in America at least, Idolatry, uh, the, the form of idolatry, the physical idea of idolatry is probably not as big as it is in other places. But I'll tell you this, we are not without idolatry in America. It's not... It's not uh, a God that's fashioned with hands. I think most of Americans would think, well, that's kind of silly. Uh, where did that come from? Uh, you turn it over, and 90% of the time it's going to say, made in China. Maybe not idols, I don't know. I've not been to an idol shop in a long time. But, but you understand, most of Americans are going to say, well, that's foolish to pray to a man-made item. But at the same time, uh, we certainly have idolatry in America. You think about this, what is the measure of success for most Americans in the world today? What do they measure as success? Uh, I looked that up, I thought, I'm curious what that is. And, uh, and many people would say, hey, the measure of success is how much money that you have in the bank. And listen, while it is not a physical idol that they would bow and pray to, it is an idol in that it is all of their attention is focused on the financial end of things and what they could get and what they could stuff in their pockets and what they could put aside in their bank accounts. And it becomes so much so that it becomes an idol to them. 
and they worship that. And they live for that. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, uh, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now listen, this morning uh, I, I understand, we understand Christianity should not be uh, have money as an idol and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about by and large the American society, the lost people that are in the world, that is their God. That is the thing that they live for. And all of their attention is turned and they're focused strictly and solely on money. I can't tell you of, of the times I've looked it up in the past, I have not of recent, but uh, of many of the people who have grown up in, in, in millionaires' homes and, and people who have a lot of money, but, uh, but their, their, their God was that money so much so that when the kids grew up, they're like, none of this satisfies. Their dad can buy them a car at 18 or, or 16, a brand new spanking car, and give them to the keys, and it does not even dent their account. And the kids have all the things that they want, but they're not happy because it won't satisfy. But so many people are wrapped up and they're tied up in the idolatry of money that they're focusing on that. And listen, God would say, look unto me. And He's trying to get their attention, but their focus is on the physical things of this world. The idolatry of money. What about the idolatry of man? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, we've been going through the book of Romans on Sunday night, and we went through this passage. And uh, in the middle of Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. In other words, they would take the truth of God, that would be the Word of God, that would be the account of creation, that would be the account of God being in control of everything, that would be everything that is written in the Word of God, and they changed it all into a lie, and they started teaching evolution, and then they started teaching this and that and all these other things, and the Bible says here in Romans 1.25 that they worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Well, that's evident in our society today. One word, and, and, and you'd be on the same page as me, you'll understand pop culture. Boy, is the elevation of man so much to the point that people worship man and, and, and they would do whatever they could just to get a picture with that person or an autograph of that person. And, and I'll refrain from naming famous people because I really don't know any and I would look dumb. I, it's just I'm not, I'm not interested in, in that stuff. But much of the society today, uh, they're all about the pop culture and who the latest person is and who the latest singer is and who the latest most popular person is and who the latest most uh, greatest actor is. And, and what they've done is, is we've, t we've taken and as society as a whole and we've idolized mankind to a point that, hey, we're worshiping who man is. 
And what I'm saying is, by and large in America, their eyes are focused either on financial wealth and gain and trying to accumulate things for themselves, or else they're focused on other man uh, that is, they're saying, wow, that guy's the greatest, or that gal's the greatest, and, and they're worshiping those things. And it's the idea of idolizing a man to a position that's above God. And what I'm saying is, listen, in our society, by and large, our present audience excluded. I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning. I, I, I think you're trying to focus on God. But our society, understand, they're looking in all kinds of different directions. Hey, they're, they're, they're tied up in their wealth. They're tied up in the idols of man. They're tied up in the things of this world. And they're so busy with all these other things that they're not looking to God. And listen, there has to be a turning point in their life where somebody says, hey, hey, look unto God and be ye saved. That's our responsibility as Christians is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4 that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. What that means is they're so tied up in their idolatry of money. They're so tied up in their idolatry of man. They're so tied up in all of their other things. Listen, religion can very well blind people as well. Uh, it might surprise you, uh, but the Bible is very clear. Hey, religion does not save people. A lot of people are tied up in religion. And their eyes are blinded and they're focused 100% on that religious thing. They're sincere people. They're good people. But I'm telling you this, they're misguided and misdirected. And many times they're focusing on the wrong things. And God would tell them this morning, hey, look unto me. He wants them to turn their attention towards God. There's a turning that's involved in the book of Acts uh, we, we read this, he says, in, in Acts 14, 15, you can turn over there if you'd like, Acts 14, 15, uh, we kind of jump in the middle of a story where uh, Paul has, uh, has, has just healed somebody and, and their, their, their life has been changed and, and the people there, they start worshiping Paul and thinking, man, wow, this is a, a God that came from outer space and, and look at what he says unto them. And when, in Acts chapter number 15, Chapter number 14 and verse number 15. Acts 14, 15. And saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are therein. Paul was saying the same thing. Hey, Turn and look unto God. And listen, that's the message that needs to go out. Uh, God, God needs to be looked to. We see that in our passage, uh, Isaiah 45, 22. Look, he says, is the very first word. The idea is to get your face out of whatever you're occupied with and to turn to God. He says, look. We can see their focus is on idolatry and on sin. But then I want you to see what he says in Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Look unto me. Listen, he's saying focus on the Savior. 
This chapter is an incredible chapter, and as I was reading it, uh, it's quite an interesting chapter. We'll look at it, but I want you to notice this, that all through the entire Bible, God is trying to get the attention of mankind. You go back and you reread the Old Testament. I love reading some of the stories of the Old Testament. They're incredible to watch some of the things, and, and you go back, and one of my favorite portions, to be honest with you, is, uh, is um, in Egypt when the, the Israelites were in slavery. And, uh, and how God brings them out of slavery. And, and you read about all those plagues that take place and, and, uh, and, and time and time again. And you'll read the Bible account and it's an accurate and it's a true account of what took place in history. One of the things that you might not realize and you might not understand uh, without studying outside is, is that, uh, listen, all of those plagues specifically attacked gods in Egypt. And so the plague of the, the river turning to blood, uh, that was, hey, the, the Egyptians had a god of the rivers that they would worship and they would pray to, that the rivers would do all of this. And God, God Almighty, turning that river into blood was a direct uh, insult and attack against the Egyptians' god saying, hey, your god's not able, but our god is. You go to the next one, and every one of the plagues was a plague that went against one of the gods of Egypt that they would pray to. The crops, the hail, the, the, the lice, the flies, the frogs, everything that took place was against one of the gods of the Egyptians that they would say, hey, uh, man, our gods are not working out for us, but Jehovah God, He's powerful. Hey, He's doing things that, uh, that, that our God can't do. The Egyptians... What about Elijah when he calls all the, uh, the, the, the prophets of Baal for a, a great gathering and the Bible says that there's some 400 prophets of Baal that he called out of Israel. Brought them all in. And he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little competition. He said, you guys take your sacrifice and you do whatever you want and I'm going to take my sacrifice and I'm going to prepare it for God Almighty. And he prepares that sacrifice for God Almighty. He says, I tell you what, I'll let you go first. And they cry and they do all their antics trying to get fire to fall from heaven, but their God was not able to succeed. Why? Because he's a false God. And Elijah... In just a short little prayer, after he had put, I think it was seven or twelve baskets full of water on the thing, prays a short prayer. Fire falls from heaven. The Bible says it consumes the sacrifice and licks up all the water around that altar. Why? God was saying, I am the God of heaven that is more powerful than Baal and any of the other gods in this world that man can come up with and man can invent and man can come through with. And he's saying, listen, I am God and there is none else. What about uh, in Daniel? We, we talked about it, uh, I guess, several weeks ago, maybe a month ago, when one of the kings, he said, well, look at the great, uh, great place that I had built and, and, and how wonderful it is. And, and, uh, and he's talking about how powerful he is. And, and all of a sudden, God comes from heaven and says, hey, uh, listen here, buddy. I'm going to send you out and you're going to go crazy. And he leaves the palace and he lives out in the fields and he eats the grass and, and his claws grow grow out, and, and, and he's like a wild animal. And he comes back and he says, after, after the time that God had said, you're going to be out there, and you're going to be crazy, when he did come back, he said, you know what? 
there's a God in heaven. What about the God that they built uh, in Daniel chapter 3 when they built that, uh, that, that great altar and, and, uh, and they said, hey, you know, you've got to bow down and worship that. And the three Hebrew children said, we're not going to do that. And they didn't. And, and in the end, uh, that, that king said, you know what, there's a God in heaven. How about when they threw Daniel into the lion's den and, and Daniel was not eaten by the lion and that king said, you know what, there's a God in heaven. And time and time again throughout Scripture, God is making it very clear and very abundant that He is all-powerful and that He is stronger than anything that is in this world. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 45. I thought this was interesting as, we read, as I read this chapter. Look with me at verse number 5. The Bible says this, Isaiah 45 and verse 5. This phrase is repeated over and over throughout this chapter more than anywhere else, I believe, in Scripture. But he says in Isaiah 45 and verse 5, he says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Look at verse number 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Look with me at verse number 14, and he's kind of recounting a history lesson here. In verse number 14, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, the, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine, and they shall come after thee in chains, and they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying... Surely God is in thee, and there is none else, and there is no God. What they're saying is, in that verse, it's the Egyptians, it's the Sabians, it's the Ethiopians, and, and, uh, and they were powerful in that time, but they're going to come to Israel and they're going to recognize, hey, we are weak. And he says, hey, they're going to be in chains and they're going to be weakened and they're going to be uh, not strong. And they're going to come to the Israelites and they're going to say, hey, there's a God in you that we don't have. And there's no God besides your God. That's what they're saying. That's the testimony of those countries in the world. Look with me at verse number 18, and we find another account of this. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Look at verse number 21. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared from uh, this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Then our verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Do you think he's trying to make a point in Isaiah chapter 45? He's declaring, hey, that there is only one God, and that that is Jehovah God that is in heaven. That is the Creator of the universe. That is the God that reigns supreme throughout all eternity. That's the God that you and I serve. And he's commanding the world saying, look unto me. 
hey, they need to look. They're so focused on everything else. They're focused on idolatry. They're focused on sin. They're focused on religion. They're focused everywhere else. But God is calling them, saying, hey, look unto me. There's only one God. Listen, there's only one salvation. You know these verses in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was speaking those words. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Hey, there's only one Savior. That's Jesus Christ. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what economic status you may have. I don't care what citizenship you may hold. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Bible's clear. It says it over and over and over again. And you and I know that. Uh, but listen, many people don't. They're trying to follow some religious path to get to heaven. Let me tell you something. Not all roads lead to heaven. There's a lot of roads that are deceptive. But they're not going to heaven. There's one salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ. Look back in our text, Isaiah 45 and verse 23. The Bible says in verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out by my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. That would be make an oath, that word swear. We have to clarify that because we live in such a vulgar society, they think that swearing is cussing. But listen, God is saying there in that verse 23, He says, unto me, who's speaking there? God's speaking. He says, unto me, every knee shall bow. And there's a lot of people that will tell you that Jesus is not God. However, flip over with me to Philippians chapter number 2. And if Jesus is not God, let me ask you, how, how would you clarify this verse then in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 10? Because the Bible clearly says, God clearly says that unto me every knee shall bow. He clearly says that He is the only God. But in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only way you can rectify those two scriptures is that Jesus is God. And He is the Savior of the world. Hey, that's, that's the conclusion you have to come to. He, came, he clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5 that I already quoted, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, He is the only way to get to heaven. And if He is the only way to get to heaven, and if every knee is going to bow to Him, and if every tongue is going to confess Him, then He is God. There's no way around it. And He's the Savior of the world. In our text, He says... 
look. He's calling to the world and asking them, telling them to turn from their idolatry, to turn from their sinful ways, to turn from their religious ways, and to look unto God. And he goes on, and the next phrase is, and be ye saved. We see the focus on sin of idolatry and sin in general. We see the focus on the Savior as He says, look unto Me. But I want you to see uh, as well, focus on salvation and be ye saved. I want to say this because I don't want this to be misunderstood. The looking is the command that's the turning of our eyes to God, and being saved is the result of looking to God. The Bible clarifies that for us in John 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. It says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's no amount of good works, and I'm not proclaiming that it's good works. Our turning is not cleaning up of our life and making ourselves better, but it's rather taking our focus off of whatever has our attention in this world and turning to God and recognizing, hey, He is the Savior of the world. And listen, that's the idea of repentance. It's turning to God. It's not cleaning up your life. It's turning to God and saying, God, I recognize that the things that I'm focusing on will not save me, but I need your salvation in my heart. And we know it's calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we sing that song in our, our hymn book, Look and Live, my, friend, my, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Listen, there's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we could get the world to stop focusing on their wealth, if we could get the world to stop focusing on their idolatry of man, if we could get the world to stop focusing on their religion and start looking unto God and realizing, hey, that He is the Savior and that He's the only one that can change their life, hey, they would understand that, hey, they could be saved by just putting their trust and faith in Him. We find salvation implies a need for being saved. What He says here in our text, look unto me and be ye saved. That implies that we need salvation. That implies that right now, mankind as they are, are not saved. If they were saved, He would not say, Look unto me and be saved. But he's implying that they're lost inherently in their condition. We know that to be true from Scripture. The Bible says uh, in, in John 8.34, Jesus says this. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Listen, sin has a binding hold on lost people in this world. I'll never forget Brother Humberto Gomez. He, uh, he came to our missions month, and in, in he was the first Sunday in the month of March, and good friend of mine, and he grew up in Mexico, and, and as he gave testimony, his father had passed away when he was, uh, when he was a young boy, and, and his life went on, and he got wrapped up in the world. He grew up lost, and his mom was working, trying to support all the kids, and, and, uh, and he, he, I remember he gave his testimony, not here, it was elsewhere that I heard it, uh, that he had told this portion. He said he, he was in prison for something that he had done. 
And his mom came to see him. And she said, Humberto, you've got to change your life. And he said, I want to. I don't know how. And the truth of the matter is, sin will bind people. You wonder why they live their life in sin. The truth of the matter is, they are bound by that sin. They're enslaved to that sin. Most of them don't even want to continue in it, but they're enslaved by it. They are constrained by it. Listen, salvation breaks those chains and allows freedom for the Christian. That we're no longer bound to that sin. And we're, he says, look unto me and be ye saved. In this life you can have freedom from your sin. If you'll put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only the constraint of sin, but listen, there's, we need to be saved from the condemnation of sin. Sin constrains us and sin condemns us. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages is simply what we'd earn for our sin. Most people know you go to work and you work uh, your, your week or two weeks or whenever you get paid, and at the end of that time you get a paycheck. And, and listen, if you went to work for those two weeks and it came to the end of that, that week or that two weeks or whenever you get paid and, and your boss said, well, you mean you showed up for work every time, great, uh, you were on time, you, you put all your time in, you did a great job, but we're not going to pay you this week. I think you'd be mad. I think you'd be irate, and rightfully so. You'd probably call a lawyer and, and, uh, and say, hey, we're, you know, we're going to get this straightened out. I put my time in. You owe me that money. I deserve it. I earned it. I put my time in. And that's how the Bible describes our sin. It says, for the wages, what we earn by our sin is death, the Bible says. The Bible clarifies what that is in Revelation 20:14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. Listen, there's a punishment for sin. And this world is so busy with their wealth. They're focused on their wealth. They're focused on the idolatry of man and looking at all the pop culture and the worship of man and, and whatever it is that draws their attention. Many of them are steeped in religion and they're, they're focused there, but they're not looking to God. And they're constrained by sin. And they're condemned by sin. And listen, it's our job to say, hey, look to God. Look at who He is. Look at what He's done for you. And look at how He wants to change your life. And be saved. Hey, look unto God and be saved all the ends of the earth. He says, For I am God, and there is none else. Man's so lost. They're blinded, as the Bible says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. May we be pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ, who can save them from the constraint of sin, 
who can save them from the condemnation of sin. Hell is a real place. We need to be focused on the Savior and pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ with every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your call to look unto you. And God, all of us know people. They're steeped in this world. Their focus is just not on you. God, I pray that you'd help us to point people to you. God, maybe there's one here this morning that's never put their faith and trust in you. Maybe they're constrained by sin. Maybe they're condemned by sin. God, I pray that you would turn their attention to you and that they would be saved today and put their faith and trust in you. You're the only one that can save. This church can't save people. Baptism can't save people. Religion cannot save people. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save people. And God, may they look to you for salvation. For in you alone they'll find it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, maybe you want to pray for somebody. Somebody who's steeped in idolatry of wealth, idolatry of man, religion, or some other thing that's got their life wrapped up. They're lost. They're without God in their life. trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Why don't you put your faith and trust in Him? It's, it's really that simple. Look unto me and be ye saved. It's not difficult. The Bible says that even a child can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll simply look to God and say, God save me, He'll save you. Put your faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Why don't you let me know about it after church? Don't leave here without knowing for sure. We don't want to embarrass you. We want to help you. Jesus, or the Bible says, look unto me and be saved all ends of the earth. Salvation's really that simple.